Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. I want to explain quickly the time change. Um, so there's another program happening, inshallah, tonight at the Carrollton Masjid uh, in just about a little over an hour, inshallah, um, with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, who's visiting from uh, the Bay Area, from Zaytuna College. Uh, if you don't know who Sheikh Hamza Yusuf is, then, you know, uh, just a brief uh, summary is that he's somebody, mashallah, who has contributed to the foundation of Islam in America for, uh, you know, four decades now, maybe longer, four or five decades. And um, mashallah, he's, he's, he's done a ton of work regarding community building and uh, being an inspiration for so many of the people that you and I all call, you know, speakers, teachers, uh, and preachers today, mashallah, young scholars. And um, he's here visiting, uh, and he, out of his graciousness, gave some time tonight to do a program at the Carrollton Masjid, which is just, again, not too far from here. It's like eight, nine minutes. Um, and so even just, regardless what everyone's schedule is, uh, you know, the, ab the ability to go and attend or to watch online, just a general rule, right, general understanding is that there's so many different layers of where etiquette would come in here, right? And this is, I think, something like adab or etiquette is like a lost art. I feel like the understanding of sequencing and priority and hierarchy is something that our generation, and I speak like including myself, that we don't uh, seem to understand, right? And we think that, I don't know, um, enlightened uh, minds might have more to offer society than like, uh, you know, age old wisdoms. And so you see even like in cartoons and movies, like young people challenging uh, elders and authority for the sake of whatever it may be. And we don't realize that the fallout from that or the byproduct of that is that there is sometimes a, um, 
an objective, uh, I guess, universal uh, lack of etiquette with anybody besides ourselves. That we demand that everybody respect us, but we have no respect for anybody else um, until you know we feel that that person is worth our respect. And, and this is not from the Sunnah of the Prophet So, the reason why we are moving our entire, you know, Heartworks has been going on for like seven years now, I don't know. It was like Monday nights for the last like six, seven years. And we moved the entire program because number one, Sheikh Hamza is somebody who, uh, if we start from the most bare minimum, he's older than me, okay? Number two is that he's traveling and I'm not. Number three is that he is more knowledgeable and pious than me. Uh, number four is that he's hosting a program that is more beneficial to the greater community uh, in terms of its uniqueness, its special occasion, whereas this is something regular. So there's so many different reasons as to why it would be not just uh, uh, you know, shameful, but it would be rude and disrespectful for me to sit here and to say, you know what, everyone come here and listen to me when there's something like that happening. And the reason why I wanted to, to take a moment to talk about this in the beginning is just so we understand that like we do make major changes for ourselves in the things that we do for the sake of honoring and respecting those that we see as being, uh, you know, fitting into positions and fitting into situations where they are uh, due the respect that we have, that we've been told by Allah and His Messenger to respect those who are senior to us, to elder to us, right? I know that for those of you who are younger siblings, this is giving you like PTSD right now because this is like the, the fight over the front seat, right? Whoever got shotgun. And your older sibling was like, I'm older than you. And you're like, God, right? You can't beat that. But there is, some, there is some wisdom and there is some value to understanding that there are these like timeless, age-old, like universal wisdoms uh, to adab and to etiquette. And so we're, inshallah, going to enjoy ourselves tonight, but it's going to be at a different time, a little bit shorter. And then I hope, inshallah, that if you guys don't have anything else going on, or if you do and you think you can move it around, that you make your way over to Carrollton Masjid for the Isha prayer at 745. Uh, we'll be serving food on the way out, so you can grab a couple slices of pizza to go. Uh, you know, you can eat while you're driving, inshallah. Maybe it's a stoplight, be safe, right? <laughs> but the point being is that this is all done for the sake of adab, and we hope that Allah Ta'ala accepts that, and we hope that this is a, a way that we can sort of show our appreciation for those people um, who allow for us to even do the work that we do. Okay. So uh, let's continue, inshallah. Surah Al-Baqarah. I hope everyone, inshallah, stays safe and, and during the, the ice and the snow. Um, and I hope and pray, inshallah, that uh, nobody had any major issues. Okay, so Surah Al-Baqarah. Last week, we got to verse number three. When Allah Ta'ala is explaining uh, who are the people of taqwa, who are the people who have God consciousness. That this is a label that has qualities and has characteristics. And this is also something that we need to uh, accept and we need to understand that whenever we claim something, there has to be proof. Whenever we say like, I am this, or whenever we feel like I am this, we have to be able to substantiate that claim with some sort of evidence. Okay, just like if you apply for a job or if you try to apply for a program and you say that you have certain credentials, it's not that you're not being believed immediately, but there are certain scenarios and certain places where they're going to ask you to submit your resume or submit your diploma or whatever it might be. Because in the reality, there needs to be some sort of credentialing. 
And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about these people of piety, the God conscious, al-muttaqeen, it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit intimidating and a little bit frightening, but we have to look internally and see if we carry these characteristics. Because if we don't carry them, then we shouldn't feel confident sort of walking around feeling that we are in like a very safe place spiritually, right? And this actually happens, believe it or not. At the end of Surah Hujurat, some of the new, uh, uh, new, like fresh Muslims, the new converts to Islam from the Bedouins, they, when they accepted Islam, they walked around talking about how they had very strong belief. So they, they made this claim. And it didn't come out of uh, a bad intention. It didn't come out of any sort of uh, you know, uh, bad faith or whatnot. But it was maybe a combination of simple understanding with a lot of passion and energy, right? Like we are true believers, right? Amanna. So Allah actually responds to them. Tell these people who are walking around proclaiming their like really strong levels of faith. Don't say, so this is what the Allah is telling. Allah is saying, say, O Prophet to them, don't walk around saying that you're like these superstar believers. Don't do that. You should just say that we have accepted Islam, that we have submitted. Because you can't get to the second floor without walking through the front door. So you don't, you don't proclaim like a certain level of intermediate uh, uh, knowledge or a certain level of, of superior uh, achievement without talking about or without first establishing that you had to go through the introduction. You had to become a beginner before you became advanced. And Allah Ta'ala reminds them not to disparage them and not to put anybody down, but to teach people and to teach us that even spiritually, before you run, you have to walk. And before you walk, you have to crawl. And maybe in the signs of how children develop their mobility, there's signs for us spiritually as well. That just because you're 20, 30, 40 years old, you shouldn't expect of yourself the spiritual success that you know, a person of 40 years would have. Because if you're just getting started now, it might take you a while to get your footing. I remember when I, when I first, as a, as a young man, decided that I wanted to start praying for myself. I remember this. That it wasn't about my mom telling me to pray. It wasn't about the fear of my parents. It was, I wanna pray for myself. And I remember how hard it was for me to wake up for Fajr. Like, I remember. And it wasn't a matter of not wanting to. Many people, we don't wake up for Fajr because we don't want to, but this was me going to bed every night doing all the tricks, drinking a gallon of water, right? Do the biological math, okay? What's gonna happen in a few hours? Leaving my phone in the sink, like everything, sleeping without a blanket, like all this stuff. And I would wake up, I remember waking up so upset and frustrated. But then I had to tell myself and my teachers, I remember them saying that like, you're just starting, basically. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in your late teens or wherever you are, mid-twenties, early thirties, whenever you start deciding to pray for yourself, you have to give yourself a little bit of a runway, okay? So this, when Allah Ta'ala gives us this category, this identity, al-muttaqeen, and now he's giving us this list, it serves two purposes. Number one is that a person should not feel confident that they are far and above beyond the need for this conversation, 
right? This is a foundational understanding. Number two is that if you haven't achieved these things yet, it's okay. Like you're still on your path. You're still on your trajectory towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala loves effort, right? So as long as you keep trying, and that's why the hadith are so beautiful. The Prophet sallallahu said, for the one who intends to do something but they are unable to do it, Allah rewards them as if they did it. So even though I wake up frustrated not being able to pray Fajr because I was just, my, my, my soul and my heart were not accustomed to getting out of bed before the sun ri- uh, rose on my own without my mom at my door, uh, you know, saying stuff to me, okay? Even though I, I because I, I desperately wanted it, my sheikh would say, you know what? Allah gave you the reward of Fajr. It wasn't still what I wanted, but at least it was a consolation that I needed, okay? So, Al-Muttaqeen, Allah Ta'ala, He describes them and says, they are those who, they believe in the unseen. We talked about this. So many different descriptions. Not just, what? Jinn, not just jinn, very good. The unseen are not just jinn. Yes, we believe in jinn, we understand them to exist, but when we think of the unseen, there's so much. You know, one thing I forgot to mention last week, when they talk about the unseen, they mentioned one thing that I thought was really cool, subhanAllah. Uh, one of the scholars of tafsir, I forget who it was, it might have been uh, Baydawi, he said that this ghaib, uh, this unseen, is talking about your heart. And he's not talking about your physical heart that pumps blood throughout your body, he's talking about the qalb, the spiritual heart. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that with every person, there is an organ, there is a piece of them, that if it is good, everything else about them will be just fine. And if it is bad, if it's corrupted, then no matter what, everything else about this person will be corrupted. Without a doubt, it's the heart. So the scholars said that, Believing in the unseen is believing that you have something inside of you that is your guide and your compass and that it is so sensitive to the things that you do that you submit to the idea that what? I don't decide to do everything on my own. I have to realize that I am the product of my actions as well. You see, because this is where living in, 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 in today's day and age, we're kind of caught up that we can be one way and still achieve the benefits of another way. That I can do what I want physically, but still think of myself as healthy. Or I can live how I want spiritually and still think of myself as someone who is devoted and close to God. See, we believe that in relationships, right, your actions affect the quality of your relationship. If you have friends that you keep flaking on, you're probably not gonna get called very much longer. Okay, I just didn't mean to hit a nerve, right? Some people just shiver, they're like, oh God, right? Start texting. No, if, if, if that person needs a ride to the airport and you tell them yes, and then last minute you say, I can't, you're probably gonna get, your relationship is probably gonna suffer. If you don't call your parents, right? They're gonna be hurt, it's gonna suffer. You can't walk around saying I'm a good son or a good daughter if you don't do the things that are requisite with that, yes or no? Okay, so subhanAllah, we learn with the heart that it's the same thing. If we believe that the heart is the spiritual center of the body, as, as, as Imam Ali an said, Amir al-Badan, the heart is the leader of your body. Like your body can't just do what it wants. It can't. How many times have you, you been so disappointed or heartbroken or disturbed by something 
And you told yourself, like, it's okay. And then your heart's like, no, it's not. Your heart just says no. This isn't about love, by the way. This is, I know it's Valentine's Day soon, but like, <laughs> just anything. Like, you know, like, you wanted a certain thing. You wanted a job or a house or whatever. Or you wanted to get married. Who knows? And you thought it was going to work out, and it didn't. And in your mind, you give yourself all these rational explanations as to why it's just fine. And your heart's like, be quiet. Let me feel. Let me cry, right? Let me listen to John Mayer for a while. Let me, you know... <laughs> Let me listen to this Drake album and feel sad for a bit, you know? Stop for a But the point being is that when, we, when he says, uh, the Mufassir here said, if you truly believe in the unseen, then you believe that there is a part of you that is the aggregate of everything that you do and say and listen to and watch. And that thing that is the aggregate that is the center, that is the core of you, it will have more power over you than you realize. And you simply can't just say no. It's not just your choice, right? You do have an element of your own will, but it's very hard to topple over the heart. That's why the qalb comes from the same root word, qallaba yuqallibu, right? The, the thing that turns and topples. Why? In qilab, to, to, to revolt, right? Or to, to, to have a revolution against, to revolt against, because it's very difficult for the heart to be defeated. Like, it's very, it, it oftentimes will topple over all of the logic and all of the physical uh, reality. The heart will win, right? The heart will win. That's why, even when, when something's on your chest, we say that even in English, right? It's weighing heavy on my chest. What does that mean? It means that your heart is feeling something. And you know you have to go to sleep, but you can't sleep. You're tossing and turning because there's something in you that you can't, you can't process. So subhanAllah. So in الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبُ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ And they make salah an established pillar in their life, right? They establish it. It does not move. It, does not, uh, it doesn't drift based on anything. وَمِمَّا رَزَقَنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And the third thing was that, and from whatever we have given them, they uh, give. Whatever we have blessed them with, they give. Then the next verse, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبِلِكَ وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُقِنُونَ Okay, Allah Ta'ala says, and here are the next ones. So we did one, two, and three. Then we have uh, four and five. We have another quality of belief. وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ Those who believe in what was sent to you, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is uh, Islam 101. Right? We believe that Allah is Allah. We believe that there is nothing worthy of worship except for God. And we believe that the Prophet Muhammad is exactly that. We believe he's a messenger from God. In the long line of messengers who brought scriptures and books and messages, we believe that the Prophet is a messenger and the final messenger. Okay? So this is like part of Islam 101. Now, this belief doesn't just stop at a verbal admission. Because we all talked about this, that you have to have some evidence. So when Allah Ta'ala says that, you believe in what was sent to the Prophet ﷺ, it's more comprehensive than just believing that the Prophet ﷺ brought the Qur'an. What else do you think this means? If I asked you, you know, do you believe that the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ received the Qur'an? What question or what extension of that question is still is also valid when I ask you that question? Yeah. Okay. Admit, yeah. Do you try to at least follow it? Do you follow it? Do you, do you try to? Okay, what else? Huh? How what? Everyone said how for some reason. How what? 
Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Like how? Yeah, yeah, all the circumstances that surround it. And this is interesting because remember what I said about my, my professor, the logic professor who was the atheist. He said like, we don't deny historically that, uh, that the Quran that we have today is the same Quran that the Prophet Muhammad had. He didn't say Prophet, but he said that Muhammad had, okay? I just can't say the name of that thing. Uh, he said, we don't deny that. He said, however, like the difference between human beings, those who are Muslim and those who are not, is whether or not you believe that it is in fact a message that was revealed by God. Okay, so that's also included in this. Do you believe that this message was sent from Allah to the Prophet That's a huge question. And there are definitely questions and elements of, okay, do you practice it? Do you follow it? Absolutely, that is one. But no one's perfect. And just because I don't do something exactly perfect all the time doesn't mean I disbelieve in it, right? And actually, this is going to be a little bit deep. Sometimes I do something even though I don't actually believe in it, right? Like sometimes I just do it. Why would I ever follow Islam even if I don't believe in it, guys? Maybe culture. Why else? Get real, huh? You love, Allah. but what if I don't? What if? What if like I don't know if I believe in it, but I just follow it anyways. Sometimes it sense. Okay. I want you to transfer yourself back to fourteen-year-old you. Parents. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so we have everyone here is giving like good answers. Or like maybe you're just fighting yourself and you're struggling and you're crying at night and you want God. I'm saying like you follow it and you're like I don't even know if this is real or not. You know what I mean? I think the number one question I, I ever got when I worked with middle schoolers and high schoolers was like, how do we know this is real? That was the number one question. And that's not a bad question, right? It's not a bad question. I was like, when you say this is real, are we talking about like the matrix? Like, are we talking about the dunya or like the Quran? So then how do we know that Islam is true? That was something that really, it was, it was like an itch that they couldn't scratch, okay? And so Allah Ta'ala is saying that you have to understand that part of this whole process of belief of taqwa is that you affirm that this came from Allah. You know what happens when you, before you engage in reading a text, remember this is all happening on the second page. This is very early, okay? In a, in a, in a book that is over 600 pages long, this is having a page number two. Allah is saying if you want to have this piety, you have to trust that this is coming from the divine source. You have to, right? Because there are going to be some things in here that will drastically shape and change the way that you think and the way that you live. Yes or no? I mean, I want you to imagine like prayer every day, okay? Fasting, zakat. You know, zakat was like one of the things that was very, very difficult for people. The Prophet ﷺ, when he would engage with tribes in Arabia, they would almost all, uh, uh, the ones that were sort of on the fence, they would accept almost everything. You know what they would not accept? Zakat. They would struggle with that one. There were some that they wouldn't accept it, and then there were some that uh, uh, after the Prophet ﷺ passed, they said, we'll continue doing the whole Islam thing, but like we don't want to pay zakat anymore. Because why? Because money, dude. Like People don't want to give up their, their, their cash. So if we expect ourselves to be able to change 
the first thing we have to make sure is that our foundation has no cracks in it. And we have to make sure that we understand that this is not just like any other book. This is not. Imam al-Ghazali said something really powerful in, his, in one of his texts. He said that there was an individual who put their uh, uh, ink pot. You guys know what an ink pot is? Okay, it's like, it's like this size. This is bukhur, but whatever. So ink pot. You guys know people used to write with like pots and feathers? Okay. Just nod, just say yes. Okay, so, so he put his ink pot on top of his, uh, uh, like, like his Islamic texts, his books, the mushaf, etc. He, he put it on top. Because think about it, he's got a desk, he's got limited room, okay? And he's, he's stacking up all of his books and he puts it right here and he just, you know, he's dipping it and he's writing. It's efficient, right? Some of you are like, yeah, it's like Ikea, like perfect space, you know? How is this room 200 square feet? And when his teacher saw him do this, he said to him in, in Farsi, Bariya Nabi, which means you will never benefit from this. Like you will never benefit from it. Imagine eating food and someone's like, you're not going to get the energy you need from this. Imagine you're like, you're trying to obtain energy to keep going or you need like, I don't know, protein for your gains or something. And, and you're doing everything right. And the person's like, you're not going to take a single drop of benefit from this. Why? Because the entire framework from which you're operating is antithetical to what the book is demanding from you. If I don't think that this is revelation from Allah, I'm not going to be able to climb the heights of spirituality that I want. Does that make sense? I have to first like, almost like have like an internal check-in. Like, hey, are you going to treat this book like any other book? Some scholars even, check this out, this is crazy. In their libraries... Guess where all of the Qur'an and the explanations of the Qur'an gets? Just take a guess which shelf they put it on. The top. They wouldn't even put it on the, like, you know, and, and there's, you could argue, okay, well, there's a logistical, you can put it in the middle. They put it on the top. I know some people right now are like, me too. <laughs> right? You guys ever feel like sometimes the way that people treat the Mus'haf of the Qur'an is like really intense? You guys ever seen that? You guys ever seen someone read Qur'an, close it, kiss it, put it on their head? Okay, the Prophet didn't do that. And, and, and let's just get that out of the way. But the reverence and the love is admirable. You have to admit it. When you see somebody, you know, even keeping the Quran in like a nice cloth, right? Keeping it in like, my, I remember my mom, she had, uh, in Egypt, they have like these big, uh, they have like these big boxes. And the inside is like red, like velvety, not the cake, but like it's like this red, I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know, crushed velvet. So, and, and, and the mushaf is in there. And then they would put like oud in there and like artad and they make it smell nice, okay? Now, it's a problem if that book just stays in there forever, right? Like you open it up and it's like, you know, the light is too bright for it. That's a problem. But the reverence and the respect, what did that all mean? What does the cloth mean? What does kissing it mean? What does all that mean? It's easy to look at that and be like, Look at these people, superstitious, this, this, this. No, you're, you're totally, man, you don't know the language of love. That's the problem. If I look at somebody and I see that they are like, their mushaf is, is like, their, their copy of the Quran is like their companion. If I look at that and I see that and I'm like, what's the deal? I don't understand what true love looks like. Like from the get-go, they're like, this is the source of all guidance and change in my life. Like I have to respect this. I have to revere this. 
this is going, this is not like the Harry Potter series that I bought limited edition. This is not like this, this, this. I'm gonna have a special place in my house for this. I mean, think about it. You can't even, you can't even touch it and read from it if you're outside of state of what? Well, do like think about that. It's not like any other book. So Allah Ta'ala says, yu'minuna That part of having God consciousness is that you don't believe that the Prophet ﷺ just magically came up with this stuff. You believe that it was revealed. That's why when we talk about the Qur'an, we, we call it, we refer to it as a tanzil That which came down from the heavens to the Prophet ﷺ. And this is also pretty cool. You also have to believe as a Muslim, and this is not some like interfaith grab, right? I know we've been to interfaith events and they're like, we love Jesus too, takbir, right? And everyone's like, Allah Akbar. They say Allah Akbar, they freak out. That, this isn't an interfaith grab, it's in the Quran, second page. And you believe in the scriptures that came down before yours. What was real before you. So as Muslims, we adhere and we admit and we not only admit, it's not like we're like, we're not like, uh, uh, we're not conceding. We're not like, oh yeah, I guess. We are honored that Allah Ta'ala included us in the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad and his message is the final extension of a long message that came through all the lineages of the Prophets. And we, we that's why, by the way, like we revere all of the texts. Maybe the modern era or the modern manifestation of the current religious texts are not completely accurate. Okay, we, we admit that, that we believe that there were changes made and things that were sacrificed and compromised and accuracy. Okay, but when we talk about the actual revelation itself as Muslims, we don't, uh, uh, what's the word? We don't hide from and we don't fear, feel any sort of sensitivity to the fact that we believe that the Qur'an is the same message that God has been sending from day one in its core, in its essence. There may have been different law, different sharia, but the tawheed, believing in oneness of God, submitting to Him, worshipping Him, seeking His repentance, always been the same. That's why we have stories from all of the prophets previous. I remember I was at an interfaith one time. I wasn't speaking at it. I was there uh, and I was, I was observing and listening and benefiting. And uh, the Muslim, the Imam said something dope. It was amazing. You guys ever seen the original Star Wars? Yeah. Yes or no? Yes. So you have the first one, okay? And then you have the second one, Empire Strikes Back. And then you have the third one, right? Mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. You guys know where this is going? Yeah. So the Imam was there. And when it was his turn to speak, he was like, how many of you would ever watch the Star Wars trilogy without the last one. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's like blasphemy, right? She's a witch. You know, they were just like screaming stuff. And the Imam was like, <laughs> he said, the way that I view it is that when it comes to the Abrahamic traditions, the Christians, the Jewish, or the, originally the Jewish, the Christian, but either way, the Christians and the Jews, and listen, he said that there is a massive population of people that have the message from God that is no longer completely accurate But there is the accurate, most up-to-date and final version that is like next door at their neighbor's house. And it's right there, and it's even more egregious than watching two movies out of a trilogy. And he said like, basically, he said for those of you in here who are not Muslim, he said, you haven't watched Return of the Jedi. You don't know how it ends. 
You don't know that Luke's father. Anyways, I don't want to ruin Okay? So the idea is we don't believe that Islam is something new. We don't believe that Islam is something foreign. We don't believe that we're weird or different. We don't believe this. We have the confidence to know that whatever we believe is from God's true religion, not the genes, true religion, all the way, you didn't see it, I'll get that one, right? All the way back to Adam, all the way down through all of the Anbiya, all the prophets. And you know what's crazy? How many of you have ever, as a Muslim in America, felt like, man, I feel like Islam, like I'm, I'm kind of different, I'm weird, I'm outcasted, like, you, you know what I mean? And the Muslims go nuts on Facebook when they're like, look at the picture of Mary, what's she wearing on her head? Right? You know what I mean? And then they're like, yes, yes, like we need like, we're like scraping at anything that'll just give us legitimacy in the eyes of European Christianity. Okay? Go to Jerusalem. Go, go to Al-Quds. May Allah Ta'ala aid our Palestinian brothers and sisters. Give them freedom and safety and security and give them their land. Go to Al-Quds. You know what's crazy? You go to Al-Quds and the Christian Palestinians are like, Assalamu alaikum, kif halakum. You're like, Alhamdulillah. They're like, Wallahi, Alhamdulillah. You're like, who? Like, you're like, you're like, wait a minute, this is, this is a joke. In Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Beit Lahem, literally, there is a masjid that the Christians built for their Muslim brethren. Isn't that nuts? And you pray there and you're like, who built this? And the Christians are like, Assalamu alaikum. Like, inshallah, we'll see you later. I'm like, inshallah, who? Like, you know what I mean? Because again, there's just, there's, in America, there's so much animosity. There's so much tension. So I would come back from Jerusalem and I'd meet with my pastor friends. I'm like, we got to talk. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you guys make me feel weird. You're weird. I'm like, go back to, go back to Jerusalem and see the origins of your faith. And, and, and where did this all go wrong? You know, and subhanAllah, like that trip, I, I would highly, highly encourage everybody, inshallah, if they can, to go to Aqsa, inshallah, and pray there and visit the Palestinian brothers and sisters and support them. That trip changes your entire perspective on previous religions. Because you realize that Islam is not new or different or foreign. Islam is just the conclusion, the, ex- the conclusion and the extended ending of the message that God has sent from day one. And, and your heart just feels like, man, I don't have to feel self-conscious about this. I don't have to feel like I, la- like I lack confidence. My religion is the religion from God. Just as theirs was until there were alterations and edits and things like that made. Right? Which is not the fault of people who are Christian today. Like they, they weren't the ones making the edits. Right? Politics and religion get mixed up. The Council of Nicaea, Constantine, do some reading. And you'll see. SubhanAllah, it all becomes. But it wasn't the people today. Right, and you go there and you see the closeness. Subhanallah. There's a lot much. There's a lot uh, more that's closer than we realize. Okay. So as Muslims, second page of the Quran, wama unzila min You cannot be a muttaqi. You cannot be close to Allah unless you believe that this religion that you believe in, that you adhere to, is the conclusion of the religions that God has sent in in previous uh, scriptures. hum And in the afterlife, they have absolute certainty. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about what this means. What does it mean to have absolute certainty in the afterlife? Um, the, the most introductory level is what? What does it mean to believe in the afterlife, God, guys and girls? Huh? That you believe that you're going to be held to account, that you'll be judged? Okay, what else? 
Jannah, Jahannam, that there are abodes, right? Whether it's the garden or whether it's the pits of the fire, may Allah Ta'ala protect us. What else? Resurrection, day of judgment, okay? That there is a gateway. Death is the gateway to all of this. What else? Oh, interesting. Who said that? Yeah, absolute justice. That the day of judgment is not just like this event with no function, but it's the day in which Allah Ta'ala, the just, will demonstrate His justice for everybody. You will, everybody will get their justice, okay? And I know that if you hear that, you're like, yes, relax. <laughs> because there are other people that might deserve justice from you. And so like, yes, we ask Allah to give justice, but we ask for Him to be gentle, right? Like, if Allah could just forgive everybody, right? It may be better off than being just with everybody. You know what I mean? Like, once you're in Jannah, like, I don't really care who else is there. I'm going to have my own spot. Okay? Inshallah. So, everyone's going to get what they are, are, are accounted for from this life. This is all part of the Akhirah. This is all part of it. Now, why is believing in the Akhirah important? Uh, I used to ask this to my, when I used to teach middle school. And 12-year-olds would actually give very profound answers. You know, 12-year-olds, middle school is like a very interesting age. Because I don't think your brain's fully developed yet. But like, your mouth is. And so you will just <laughs> say things. And you'll be completely honest. Like, they won't hide anything. Like, this kid will be like, yeah, sometimes like, I steal things. And like, and then I remember that like, there's a camera and I have to like, put it. You know, I'm like, and he's like, and that's like the day of judgment, right? Like, it's like a camera. And I'm like, <laughs> that's deep, you know? Like, I mean, it's <laughs> final. It's like free association. So, so. But the point that these kids are trying to make is the same point that like Ibn al-Qayyim and others make. They basically say that uh, the Day of Judgment is, the existence of it, part of the wisdom of the Day of Judgment is that it allows us to live our best possible life here. Okay? That when you know that there's going to be a time of reckoning and accounting and measurement of your deeds, then you don't waste time. And it's true, isn't it? You know, the days where you have a lot of things to get done, you're more productive. The days where you have nothing to get done, you don't get anything done. Because you know that there's no accounting for your actions on those days. Like the lazy days are just lazy. So a lazy life will just be lazy. But a life in which a person knows that they have accounting, they have responsibility, they have goals that they have to set for that life, that person, inshallah, inshallah, will be more spiritually productive than somebody who doesn't believe that there's a day of accounting. Right? Because there's always going to be a time of what? Oh, I'll just get better later. I'll get better later until eventually there is no later. So Ibn Qayyim, he says something very powerful. He says, the reason why we sin knowingly, not the mistakes, not, not the small like uh, forgetful sins, but like the genuine, like I know what I'm doing is wrong sins. He says the reason why people do this stuff is because in that moment that they are doing it, they have temporarily forgotten that the Day of Judgment is real. Like temporarily, imagine that. You know, like in the moment you're having more chocolate cake, you forgot the scale was real. You know what I mean? You forgot that pant sizes are real, like you forgot. And it doesn't mean that you deny it, it just means that it wasn't in the front of your mind. Does that make sense? So for the person that has absolute certainty, like they're certain that the day of judgment is real, that is the greatest mechanism of behavioral change. Because at the end of the day, the person's like, you know what? I am not motivated internally. I am not even motivated externally by this in terms of people around me. But I know that there will come a day 
when I'm going to have to talk about Monday, February 7th, and I'm going to have to answer to Allah, did you pray Isha on Monday, February 7th? Like you look at your clock, it's 11.52, and you're like, I got to go to sleep. I'm so tired. I didn't pray Isha. And you remind yourself that I'm going to be sitting there, standing on the Day of Judgment in front of Allah, and I'm going to be asked, why on Monday, February 7th, did you not pray Isha when you knew you should have? What am I going to say? If you even just think, anyone here getting goosebumps just thinking about that? Like, you're like, let's just get up now. Can we end heart work right now? Because you're like, I don't, after all this, I don't want to miss Isha tonight, right? Reflecting on the day of judgment, it changes your course, right? There have been so many times. I was just playing basketball with some brothers yesterday. We're in a rec league. And one of the guys on the other team was getting real uh, uh, aggressive, one of, the, one of the guys on our team. And he was like smacking his hand, like pushing him, punch, you know, kind of like decking him and stuff like that. So the brother on our team is Muslim. He's like, stop pushing me, right? And he kind of like, you know, bucks at him, as they say. And the other guy is like about to, you know, throw hands. And then all of a sudden the Muslim brother on our team, he just turns around and kind of walks away. So after the game, he came up to me and he was like, you know, man, I just thought to myself, like, it's not worth it. Like, if I make this person hate Muslims because of the way that I'm acting and this and this and this, and then on the day of judgment, I'm gonna have to explain to Allah that like a game that we were gonna lose anyways, probably. <laughs> it was for, it was, don't laugh guys. It's hurting my feelings now, okay? It was a good run. He said, the game that we were gonna lose anyways, like you sold, you sacrificed your deen for your ego on a game that you were losing anyways. What did you gain from that? And, and it was that thought of the day of judgment that changed this brother's behavior. Even though he was being pushed and his nefs was telling him to fight back, he was like, day of judgment, not worth it, I'm out. So, So Allah Ta'ala describes him, If you can get these five things down, believing in the unseen, praying, establishing your prayer, be generous and charitable, believe in the text, like deeply understand that this is from the divine, and be somebody that remembers the day of judgment frequently. These five steps, you are somebody that you are definitely on guidance from Allah. You've gotten it, right? Success for that day. And those people, you think that you're successful if you get, you know, the right networking on LinkedIn. You think you're successful if your end of year bonus comes through. You think you're successful if you sold your house for a lot of money. That's not real success. That's success with a lowercase s. Capital S success is on that day when you're told what? Like after everything in this life, and you're just like, on the day of judgment, you don't know where you're gonna end up. And you're standing there wondering, worried, and they call out to you, go ahead, enter, it's time, it's your turn. And your life is gonna flash before your eyes and you're gonna say, all those days and nights, they felt so long, but now they felt like nothing. And you're going to say success. This is what it was all about. Right? Allah Ta'ala says. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us successful people. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us guidance and to make us those who follow the guidance that we receive. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the five characteristics and traits of those who have taqwa and that if we ever falter or stray, that we ask Allah Ta'ala to gently guide us back to that path. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen. We're going to go ahead and conclude now. And again, as I said earlier before the session, we're ending now because we have Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, which is nine minutes away from here at Carrollton Masjid, inshallah. We are serving food. Please, mashallah, our staff over there diligently worked hard 
uh, believe it or not, you know, mashallah, uh, we have Dr. Sara, Dr. Adia, we have another Sara, and we have Asman, they mashallah took care, and Sharifa, and Patrick, and everybody here. Go ahead and grab some pizza and head out, inshallah. Isha prayer at Carrollton's at, in 25 minutes, 745. So we're not praying here, and we're going to be heading out, inshallah.